Welcome to Business Conversations with your host, business strategist, Clive Ennevar. Clive is joined by expert guests as they talk business behind the scenes to give you the tools and insights to support your growth, security and serenity as you strive for your success. Welcome to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Ennevar. I am Clive Ennevar, business strategist, and we're having a conversation with Zoe Routh about Next Level Leaders, How to Be Boundless. Zoe is a leadership expert who has worked with individuals and teams internationally and in Australia since 1987. And Zoe is from the wild rivers of northern Ontario. And she has performed her magic over there and right through to the remote regions of Australia. She spent the last 30 years showing teams struggling with office politics and silos how to work better together. So he's actually obsessed with showing big thinkers with big hearts how to make a big difference. Her high-impact leadership learning adventures take place indoors and outdoors and especially in spectacular settings. And Zoe's the author of three books, which we'll get to shortly because we want to hear from Zoe, not from me right now. (laughs) Welcome, Zoe. Thanks, Clive. It's delightful to be here. Absolute pleasure to have you on because I particularly, and lots of our listeners, I'm sure, are taken by how one can become a leader. How could we, I think we're all leaders, really, and it's just how much we align ourselves to that definition. It's interesting, in a, in a group, in a classroom or a room full of people, if you ask them who's a leader here, reluctantly will people put their hand up. And it's almost they don't want to be tarred with that rush for some reason, that it's an onerous thing to be a leader. And yet all of us are leaders in many ways throughout all aspects of our lives, from how we manage ourselves to how we manage our family, how we show up and run businesses. So leadership is a mantle, but it's also a privilege and it's a massive opportunity. And there's very specific things you can learn how to do that service a lot easier and better, because trust me, I've made so many mistakes with this one. And I've committed my life to making leadership easier yes you obviously have because uh from your bio i've got a whole bunch more that i could have told people about but we'll get to more of that later you mentioned something that's uh, very important to me is leadership in families now you obviously showed leadership uh, even if you might have made a few mistakes Zoe, <laughs> you were there a moment ago you obviously showed leadership at a, an early stage because Ontario. Remind us where Ontario is? Ontario is a province of Canada. And I started young, actually, in my professional career. It was, even though many would consider it not a real job, I went to work at summer camp at the age of 17 and started to learn how to lead teams and groups there, young kids and then young adults. Uh, on canoe trips through Northwest Ontario, which is kind of the mid-east part of Canada. And those rivers went far up north where you rarely saw people um, throughout the times that we were away. And we did two-week, three-week, and six-week canoe trips. And yes, that was my first real dive into leadership, first as a participant. So I did those kind of canoe trips as a, as a kid and then went back to work at summer camp. And um, I remember my first year as a summer camp counselor, I just turned 17 during staff training. And I was given a group of kids, eight kids. And I had to lead them through activities, keep them 
energized, look after their needs. And um, that was kind of my first immersive experience in real leadership responsibility. It was kind of scary, actually. And this is all at age 17. Yeah. Yeah. My first paid leadership gig, I guess. (laughs) And you refer to kids. They were probably approaching your age. Would that be right? Oh, that's true. So as a summer camp counselor, the kids ranged in age 10 to 16. And then when I started doing canoe trips at the age of 19, the kids were 15 to 19. Yeah. So there were some of them were basically my age. Absolutely. And that's one of the toughest gigs as a leader is leading peers. Um, Yes. Yes. Good on you for learning early. Yeah. You, you went on after that to find yourself in Australia. How did that come about? Well, I studied English literature at university. So I went to McGill University in Montreal, and I had a little epiphany as I was going through my arts degree that um, I wanted to, instead of reading about other people having lives, I wanted to actually have a life myself. And I realized that the most alive I felt was in the outdoors. So every summer when I worked at summer camp is when I felt fully enriched with everything that was going on around me. And I decided that I wanted to make living a living in the outdoors. So I put in an application and got a job at Outward Bound here in Australia. And at first it was a 13-month contract, which seemed like a long time back then, like a long time to be away from my home country, from my family. And off I trotted to come and have an adventure for 13 months in Australia. And that quickly turned into uh, 10 years. (laughs) And Outward Bound sponsored my residency here in this country. And then I met an Aussie fella and fell in love, as you do, and married him, convinced him to marry me, which was a good thing. And we have set up shop here in Canberra and have a happy family of us and two chooks. We did have more chooks, but they've all keeled over. <laughs> We've got two, two remaining chookies. <laughs> well, at least we, we'll trust you're giving them a very good life, Zoe. Oh, my goodness. They are so overfed. It's not even funny. And that's, I blame my husband for that. He loves, he loves to um, give them little treats of cheese and all sorts of things you're not supposed to feed chickens. Uh, but anyway, there are feather babies. Oh, well, you, you, you can never be uh, you know, held, held poor for uh, looking after animals, I think. Always a good thing. And especially chooks. They're, they're very special uh, creatures. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You can learn a lot from a chicken. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Now, somewhere along the line, you wrote three books. How did they come about, Zoe? Uh, I wrote my first one, Composure, in 2015. And that was the launch of my leadership practice full-time. So I'd been practicing as an executive coach since 2002 and mostly doing it part-time while I had uh, other roles. So while, while I worked at Outward Bound and then I worked at the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation developing, delivering leadership programs there, I still maintained an executive coaching uh, practice on the side. And then in 2015 or 2014, I should say, decided to go full time, you know, take the big giant leap and be a self employed business owner. And at that stage, I knew that I had a lot to share. And so uh, joined a business community called Thought Leaders Business School, which helped me to learn how to do deep thinking on my expertise and how to package it up in a way that's meaningful and useful to others. So that's what I attempted to do in my very first book, Composure, which is 
a deep dive into self-mastery. And therein be, began the big angst of writing a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so always a challenge I, I hear from people who have written books. Um, I have some e-books, which, of course, are not particularly large, but it does put the, the thinking cap on uh, a little bit differently. It does. And I think in having written three of them, it's gotten a little bit easier coming into the third. Now I know what the process is all about. But the first one, it was it really exposes all of your inner dialogue about, am I good enough? Um, Will people like it? All these sort of inner quiverings we have as human beings, whether it's in our different leadership roles. And I think it's a lot of the same emotions we experience as leaders when we go into a new position. Will they find out, I don't know what the hell I'm doing? Uh, will I be able to handle this? What if I let people down? All that kind of stuff came up for me in, in full force in putting together the first book until I sent it to the printer and then went, oh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> good on you for doing it. But, it, was, uh, it was cathartic. <laughs> at the same time, of course, you were, you were jumping into being your own little entrepreneur or having, having your own business, as you said. Tell us a yeah. little bit about uh, how that changed your view. Well, I've been sort of dabbling, I'd say, since, since I set up, um, put up my shingle as an executive coach in 2002 and went from the world of the not-for-profit not for or for-purpose sector. So I'd worked at summer camp in Canada for the YMCA and then for Outward Bound um, here in Australia, which is a not-for-profit outdoor experiential organization, and then for the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. So I spent the good part of 20-odd years working for charities. And it's a very different mindset in business. And so when I put my shingle up and started practicing, I had to learn all about that. Um, had to realign my relationship with money, what it meant to actually charge for your services and to feel confident in that. Um, to go out and ask for business, that was a new experience for me, that whole selling aspect of things. So it, it, it was a personal development journey on itself is learning how to be a business owner. And there's quite a big difference. And this is one of the biggest lessons I got in starting my own business is it's a big difference from doing the work, which is executive coaching and training and facilitation and working with people to getting the work. The, the work of business is different to the work of whatever your expertise is. And that was a big shock to the system. And so there was a big mountain to climb in terms of getting a handle on the skills and resources you need in order to be a successful business person, um, let alone a successful coach or trainer or leadership facilitator. Yes, you're quite right. So they're very different aspects of what appears from the outside to be the one thing. Were they uh, instrumental in helping you form moments, leadership when it matters most, and loyalty, stop unwanted st staff, staff turnover, uh, etc. So you're talking about my, my second and third book. So Moments yes. is my second book. And that is really about the moments that we face as leaders. And there's a couple of critical moments. There's the rock and a hard place moments where you've got to make ethical decisions, and those are pretty challenging. There's um, rock bottom moments when you're at your lowest and how you bounce back from that. Uh, and then there's the moments when the brown stuff hits the twirly thing and you've got to recover from that. And you've got to have difficult conversations and plow your way through these, uh, these particular experiences. So moments is about that, that self-leadership through trying times. And that, that book references some of my personal journey 
it wasn't just about business. It was also about life. Um, so when I first launched my, my business, um, pretty early in the, in, in the time frame in 2005, I got cancer and that kind of put a big spanner in the works when it comes to being able to follow through on your growth development plans. Um, and everything went on hold for six months. I had major surgery and chemotherapy and a big long time to reevaluate who I was as a human being and as a business owner. Um, so some of that story is woven into both my first two books, actually, Composure and Moments, and how, you, how we can look at our experiences and redefine them in a way that's useful and constructive and make the most of what happens to us in meaning making. So that was Moments. Loyalty, my third book, is based on the 30 years of working with people. And uh, whether it was at summer camp or at Outward Bound or with the Rural, Rural Leadership Foundation or with my private clients now in my practice, I've learned a lot about how people get along and don't get along. And I wish my wish for all leaders is that we just get along better uh, because we spend a lot of time at work. And I think it behooves us to enjoy what we do and who we do it with. And loyalty is really looking at employee experience and how we can build better places for people to come to work. And I think this idea of loyalty has shifted quite a lot over the years. Um, to date, it's been about how do we keep people loyal, as in how do we keep people staying in the business? Because staff turnover can be devastating, especially for small businesses, because you invest a lot in your people and, they, and as soon as somebody leaves, they walk away with all this corporate knowledge. And it's, it can be quite destabilizing as you recruit and try and get somebody up to speed. So it can be quite difficult, especially for small business, to contend with that. Yet loyalty these days, we can't expect people to stick around forever. The world has changed significantly. There's many, many different opportunities for people. And people are hungry for new experiences. And they, they have a matrix approach to their careers. And so they may be with you for just a short time. I think rather than fighting that, I think what we can do as business leaders is to create an experience with the people that come into our employ so that they become raving fans forever. And that's my concept of loyalty that I expound in this book is it's less about retention and more about advocacy. So loyalty, from my point of view, is developing advocates in your business, whether they stay with you for six months or 60 years. Um, you want lifetime people who are committed to you and the cause that you believe in in your business. And that's what you do through good leadership and good employee engagement is creating that, that sense of belonging, that sense of purpose, and that sense of being respected and well looked after. So those, that's sort of the evolution of the, of the book number two and number three. Yeah, and uh, beautifully put about how to you know, have people engage with your business. Now, other things that you've actually managed to squeeze into this life of yours include the chair of, being the chair of the Outdoor Council of Australia. You are also president of the Chamber of Women in Commerce uh, in Business, I think, and program manager at the Australian Rural Leadership Foundation. Um, of themselves, they seem pretty handy little things that might have taken up a bit of time, Zoe. <laughs> Well, the first two were volunteer roles. So chair of the Outdoor Council of Australia was, uh, happened while I was working at Outward Bound. And it was part of our organization's commitment to the broader sector that, that the leaders of the organization participate in those kinds of activities. So, yeah, it took up some time, took up a lot of bandwidth in my head. 
about what were the broader issues in the outdoor sector. And that was probably my first foray into leadership on behalf of, uh, of, a, of a range of different stakeholders, which is quite different to leadership of a team or leadership of a business. And that has many different layers to it and many different responsibilities and complexities to it. And I've experienced that also when with my volunteer role as president of the Chamber of Women in Business. And it, those are interesting, those ones, those community organizations, which are all run by volunteers and yet need to be run as businesses. I think they've got probably got the biggest hurdles to overcome because nobody works full time in, in those places. It's a gathering of people who are committed to creating experiences for their members and believe in the principles that the business puts together. Um, so, yeah, that, that consumed a lot of energy and bandwidth as well in, in leading that um, that kind of organization and entity. Uh, and both of those experiences caused me to reflect on what were my personal values, how did they align with the organization. And I think that's a really useful reflective practice for any leader considering any volunteer roles or actually any leadership role in general is when we choose to put ourselves uh, in those leadership opportunities, it's we need to be really con- um, convinced and um, aligned um, stewards for the principles of the business that we're, we're serving. And if we're not, then we're not in service to that organization. So I think that was a really, um, that was a big insight from those two experiences is how to do that. And was I completely aligned to what the businesses were doing? And in one case, I wasn't. And um, handed over the reins to somebody else who had more conviction and more commitment to what the organization was trying to achieve. I wanted to take it in a different direction and didn't have the support from the other people on the committee, which that was a fascinating leadership experience in itself. I'm like, oh, I'm usually pretty persuasive. And yet I haven't managed to persuade this group of people. <laughs> What's that about? Um, did I, could I learn something from that? And I took many lessons away from that is that you, you can have a vision for something and not everybody's going to buy into it based on what, whatever that they need or they want um, at the time. So yeah, that was a pretty, that was a pretty deep kind of experience um, that I've reflected on many times since is how you can be, have a vision and, and not be able to persuade people, no matter how good you think it is. <laughs> they, need, they need to think it too. A uh, very, very important point. And uh, particularly in a, if you're taking on a role in leadership, to recognise that perhaps not everybody is going to play and perhaps your ideas won't get up and perhaps you have to live with that or alternatively go and do something else. But speaking Mm -hmm. of doing something else, um, just in case somebody was thinking that uh, Zoe's been busy, let's have a look at this. You mentioned that you uh, had a, a bout with some cancer. You moved at a very early age or a relatively early age from uh, Ontario, Canada to Australia. You worked and worked and worked and worked. Then you decided that you'd open your own business. So you worked some more. You were chair of the Outdoor Council of Australia, chamber of the women, in, uh, president of the chamber of women in business, program manager at Australian Rural Leadership. But you also have run six marathons you were a one-time belly dancer. You love hiking in the country. Um, is there anything else that I don't know about you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm sure there's plenty. We've only known, known each other for 40 minutes so far. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, oh, well, let me see. I don't do belly dancing anymore. Uh, so I think that's, that, that's gone by the wayside. Uh, in terms of hobbies these days, what it isn't in that particular bio is telemarking. So it's a particular kind of skiing that I enjoy with my husband, which we learned quite haphazardly, actually. We were backcountry skiing and we rented these skis, which they didn't have normal ski touring skis. All they had were these telemark skis. And all of a sudden we could turn well in deep snow and we thought, oh my goodness, this is amazing. So telemarking is a high, hybrid of downhill and cross-country skiing. And it's actually quite hard to do. Um, so I spent the better part of the last 12 years trying to learn how to do it. And I finally had a breakthrough last winter after many tantrums and crashes and wanting to give up. Finally managed to learn how to do it properly. So there you go. You didn't know that about me. <laughs> oh, indeed. That's uh, excellent. But uh, you're obviously totally engaged in this life that you decided to carve out for yourself. And one of the things that I wanted to mention was it, it's obvious that you decided very, very early about the life you wanted to have. Is that an accurate uh, observation? Hmm. Uh, I think that's probably stretching the bow too far in terms of I had it all laid out for myself. I think I've been more opportunistic than anything. Uh, I guess I'd have a few guiding principles, what I would call my inner compass, which is why I named my business inner compass and trying to figure out what was most important to me. And I did that early on, uh, particularly in the decision to uh, let go of academia, which I had the choice of going into academics or going to a life uh, leading outdoor trips, and I chose the outdoors. And that's because I determined what was most important to me, my values, my principles, and what creates a good life for me. And I've used that as the guiding mechanism, the compass that helps me lead the way. I haven't had a charted course the whole time. I haven't had a route plan that's taken me from Canada to uh, Australia and to where I am in my business. In fact, the decision to start my own business I remember the conversation I had with my boss that were bound and we were preparing something um, in the business that was getting audited and I put together all the paperwork and, and projects for it. She came in to have a look at the work before we, the auditor came and she said to me, you should start your own business. <laughs> and it just came out of the blue. No conversation before that about anything to do with running my own business. And I thought, what, where is this coming from? And it had, was not at all my radar or any of my life plans or life imaginings. And yet that little, that little comment kind of just landed it's somewhere in my brain and started to germinate. And I think that's one of the wonderful things about good mentors and leaders is that they can do that for you. They can plant these little seeds of potential that they see in you. And it's over to you to mull it over and to help nurture that. And that was sort of the, the start of the plan for the business. It's like, wow, if I can do it for Outward Bound, if I can put together projects and uh, that have a good business case and I can do all the supporting stuff around that, maybe I could do it for myself. Um, so that's, that's my response to, did I have it all planned out? I'm living the life that I really wanted. Um, yes and no. So guiding principles, yes. Deliberate, intentional, exquisite plan, not necessarily so having said that, I am a big one uh, to, to start crafting plans. I have a kind of reverse engineering philosophy when it comes to setting big, ambitious goals. Start with the end in mind, as, a, as Stephen Covey suggests in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and think about your 100 years that you get on this planet, if you'd be so lucky, maybe more, maybe less. And from there, work backwards. What are your decade themes? 
what are your goals then for the 12 months that you have ahead of you and break those down to 90-day projects. So I've gone from being just having a compass and a whim and a desire to be outdoors and looking after people to being a lot more specific and articulated with that. And I think that served me a lot, uh, served me really well now that I'm the fifth year into running my, my own business is to have that balance of uncharted territory, strong conviction of a compass that's guiding you, as well as some detailed plans. So, boy, that was a long answer to a short question. <laughs> ah, but it's the sort of question, the sort of answer that I really, really like because it, I'm sure it helps uh, our listeners get an understanding that it's not necessarily easy. It's not easy to come up with a plan. Um, you know, if, if it were easy to come up with a plan and then easy to put it into action and have it come to fruition in the way that we wanted, um, we wouldn't have some of, so many of the issues that are out there and people wouldn't be feeling lost and perhaps even afraid to ask, And which is why are we having this business conversation to try and help people understand that as you go along, things come up at you, you make a decision, you go with it, uh, it works or it doesn't, it helps to move this way or that, and in the end you can move on from that and have something else. Um, you know, I like your story. I think it's wonderful. Okay, you didn't have a, a serious plan when you started, but you did have that inner compass, as you describe which helped you move in a particular direction. You examined your values to make sure, was this right? Was that not quite right? It allowed you to make better decisions. Uh, that, that's a fair summation. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, for those listening, I think uh, the other key principles with, you know, what do you do? How do you make a, make a plan and go for it? A couple of key things that have been helpful for me on my journey. One is having a community of like-minded individuals because leadership and business can be a lonely, scary kind of enterprise and you don't know what you don't know. And so joining community is really helpful in that so that there is other fellow travelers to bounce ideas off and just to have event from time to time. So community support has been really important. And I know something that you're really passionate about and recommend to people, Clive, and I advocate too, and what I did for myself was to lean on the expertise of others. Um, so I've been a big investor in my own professional development and gotten specific help uh, with sales, with, with marketing, with getting my website up, uh, to looking at SEO. So I'm constantly looking at um, other experts to help me tweak and finesse the parts that I'm not naturally good at and where I don't have a lot of knowledge with. And I think that's made a huge difference actually in the last five years since I've gone full-time in my practice is really investing and leveraging that insight to make things easier and better because success leaves clues as Tony Robbins likes to say, and there's people who've done it before and why not save yourself a lot of grief and get their expertise on board. Couldn't agree more with that Zoe. But uh, let's get to some serious stuff and see if we can put you under a bit of pressure with a couple of real questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm ready. <laughs> this, is, this is a double barrel one. Um, what keeps leaders from being boundless and what helps them be boundless? Okay, so it's actually a three-barrel question because the first question is, what is a boundless leader? <laughs> and then I'll talk about... Yes. What stops us and what can we do about it? Um, a boundless leader, from my point of view, is a leader who is in relentless pursuit of a better future. 
and they know no bounds and no barriers to what is possible. So that sounds like, rah, rah, let's go. And yet what I find in both myself and the people that I work with is that we aspire to that, to have that energy to move and charge forward. And yet there are things that get in our way, blocks, barriers. So even when we talk about no bounds, no borders, no barriers, there are some. And the three main ones I see that come up, actually it's four, uh, that come up in terms of leadership uh, blocks. One is actually around leadership itself. And I think to be successful in business, you really need to have your leadership nailed down tight. Specifically, visionaries. We need to be visionaries. And visionaries attract people. And the block here is not being able to see and create the future um, and inspire others to do so. So I think it's highly relevant that I mentioned that story when I was um, head of the Outdoor Council of Australia and Chamber of Women in Business, is that I had a compelling vision, but was it inspiring enough? Was I able to create a future and craft messages around that? Was I able to know what's coming and what's on the horizon, be able to respond to that? I would say, no, I didn't have any of those. And it was a big block to, in order to galvanize and attract people to my cause. Um, so to clean up that block, one of the big things is knowing what's ahead um, on the horizon from a technological, environmental, political spectrum. So broad brush things, as well as personal things, are pretty critical. And from that, you can then craft a proactive plan and vision about how we're going to meet those changes, meet those trends. So that's the first block, leadership itself. How visionary are you? The second one is around culture, especially in, in businesses. Uh, a block to getting anything done is culture, because culture runs companies. Culture is really the operating system for, for people. And you need to have that right. You need to be specific and deliberate about how you want your culture to operate. And most leaders don't do that. They take it for granted and until things go pear-shaped. It's an interesting thing to hear leaders talk about their culture. If it's going well, they go, hey, we've got no problems with culture. Things are great. And this is kind of this arrogant sort of chest-inflating moment. And then I just know it, that unless they are very deliberate and intentional about how they set up their culture, their systems, their symbols, their rituals, it's all going to go haywire. Uh, inevitably, because cultures peak and, and ebb and flow, and we need to be mindful and deliberate about doing that. So how to overcome that particular block is to be intentional with your culture. Map out what you want, what is important to you, what are accepted behaviors, how you can integrate that into your, all of your systems, uh, from recruitment to performance management, etc. cetera. Um, the third block is around technology. And if we're going to be boundless, we need to be fully across technology. Every technology company, every company is a technology company. That's what my friend Craig Rispin, the futurist, says. And if we're not, if we don't consider ourselves a technology company, we're going to be left far behind. And this is the thing. Technolo technology drives change. So we need to make sure that we're across whatever technology is affecting our, the landscape of our business, our sector, and our clients, and make sure that we have a plan in place to be able to handle that. So we don't have the right technology, and if our culture sucks, and we don't know what the vision is for the future, we don't know what's on the horizon, we're going to be dragging our tail. The third block, I'm sorry, the last block, which is the fourth one, is all the stuff that's going inside our own head. And that's our own personal narrative, what we believe about ourselves, what we say about ourselves, our conviction, our skill level, that kind of stuff. All right, so how was that for your triple-barreled answer? Absolutely beautiful, because uh, we've got to take it back to 
simple basics and keep our eye on them, I think, is what you said. <laughs> Pretty much, you know. So the basics are leadership, culture, technology, and also what's going on with your inner dialogue. So that's self. Self-awareness piece are, the, are back to basics. Um, so they're, they're basic and expansive at the same time. There's a lot to be said in each one of those. Yeah, which uh, leads well into what I had uh, decided of my next question for you is what is a next level leader? <laughs> I love this question because there's a, a few things that are curly and implied in it. So next level kind of implies that there's a lower level. And what I mean by thinking about next level leader is not that there's lesser leaders and higher level leaders. It's more about stages of development. So a lot of my leadership approach is informed by uh, the work that's been done in leadership maturity, developmental leadership, or what's called integral leadership. And it, the whole idea is that leaders and adults can continue to evolve and develop. And how they evolve and develop is around their worldview, their perspective, and how they operate in the world. And that sort of combined is called an action logic. So as we grow and as we learn, we can actually shift and become more inclusive, more effective, and deal with bigger problems and offer better solutions as we do that. So the next level leader is what I'm really advocating for and working with in the leaders that I work with is to help them make a significant shift from achiever stage, which is all about setting goals and achieving them, to what I call amplifier stage, which is let's move beyond just getting results to looking at impact. What is the longer term impact we want to have on communities, on organizations, on sectors, on um, globally? And how can we leverage that? How can we leverage your message so more people hear what's meaningful? How can we get more motivation in the world? How can we leverage motivation, getting pe more people to take action on your vision and results? How can we get, make, do more work that matters? So Achiever is all a, kind of a contained field in terms of that stage of leadership development. And Amplifier is more about let's go beyond just producing results for our own little inner circle and see how far we can go. What kind of difference can we make long-term, bigger picture? I guess the difference between Achiever and Amplifier is that Achiever is really a traditional view of leadership, somebody at the pinnacle with authority, galvanizing the troops to create an outcome. And Amplifier is about moving beyond just results to focus on impact. Um, next level leaders, they look, they, have, they look at external and internal pressures, and they have a more complex way of seeing the world. So they're aware of increasingly dynamic situations, increasingly complex systems in which their businesses operate. Uh, they're aware of the political, environmental, social context in which they're operating and realize that long-term solutions aren't, don't have quick, quick fixes. And so the way that they introduce and plan out their leadership is in two contexts. What are the immediate needs of the day and what are the long-term uh, long solutions that they can also foster at the same time? So next-level leaders, amplifiers, are really playing in two spaces. What are the demands now and what can we transform next? Uh, I think on a global stage, an example of amplifiers, big picture ones would be Bill and Melinda Gates, um, what they're doing on a global platform to make a difference long-term to humanity and their investment in healthcare. Um, Barack Obama is another one who has a strong vision of a more inclusive United States. That's global American examples. I think on the local stage here, one of the examples of an amplifier I can speak to is a leader I've been working with for a number of years. He's CEO of an organization, a not-for-profit organization called Men's Link, and they provide counseling and mentoring services for young men at risk. 
And he's moved from as an achiever leader to setting up programs and getting these programs off the ground to really now, and he's been extremely successful in that they've quadrupled the size of the business in the time that he's been there. He's had a huge impact on service delivery. And now at the stage of his development as a leader, he's really looking at what can we do to make long-term sustainable change? So this isn't just about supporting young men in the moment. It's about how can we make social changes where we deal with some of the complex issues, which are driving these kids to be at risk in the first place. So things, things like changing our social view of violence, how we use violence to solve problems, how it's depicted in, uh, in the media and in movies and that kind of thing. So he's really shifting his leadership focus to a different, uh, different sphere. So those are some examples of how we can move our focus from achiever to amplifier without losing the important elements of achiever because we still need to be able to set plans and achieve results. Indeed. But, uh, yes, I like that you, uh, you talk about, you know, what, what's the legacy going to be? What's it going to deliver? Mm. That's extraordinarily important. And uh, sometimes we, we forget that as we go through our daily routines. And speaking of daily routines, if there is one, what's the daily routine of a boundless leader? Well, I would say that a boundless leader has a deliberate and intentional routine. I don't think there's a one, uh, one size fits all with this. Uh, what does fit all is that being deliberate and intentional with it. And each boundless leader has a custom approach to their daily routines. So they've worked out what works for them. And some typical examples of that is knowing what your chronotype is. In layman's term, that means are you a morning person or are you evening person? And that is actually simplistic and yet so profound. And when you start to create your daily rituals based on what works best for your body type and your energy type, you can have so much of a bigger impact. So for me, for example, I'm totally a morning person. I'm awake every day at 5 a.m. Off I go to the gym. I'm bouncing off the walls. And by 9 p.m., uh, it's all over, red over. I cannot do it or think anymore. So I build my entire daily practice, daily rituals around my energy uh, routines. I think boundless leaders also prioritize their health and well-being first. This is a key principle that I learned so well when I had cancer, is that if your well is empty, you can't help anybody drink from it. So we need to make sure that our own personal well is overflowing and so that there's more of us to give. So look after ourselves so there's more of us to give is a pretty important, important piece. Um, no, ex- excellent advice there, Zoe. Mm-hmm. I've... I've heard heaps of information from you today, which is absolutely excellent and uh, inspiring me to keep going. So hopefully our listeners have picked up on some of the things that you've said because you've been dropping nuggets of gold all through this conversation. So thank you for that. But as we come to the end of our conversation, what's the best tip you have received from a business conversation? For me, the best tip was be attention out. And the distinction is attention in versus attention out. Attention in is when we sit in conversation with someone, let's say we're in a sales conversation or working with a client, and all we do is think about ourselves. What's worrying us? Will they like me? Am I getting this right? Will they buy from me? Those are all attention in um, focus. And what happens is that we tend to constrict and we tend to shrink and we tend to not make an offer or we tend to bungle it. Attention out is shifting your whole perspective to being of a service mindset. 
that your attention is out on others. So what I found in that beautiful piece of advice is that that gives you the courage to make offers you wouldn't necessarily make and to stand up and do public speaking and to put your hand up for different projects because it's not about you. It's about in service to others. And it's only in being intention out that we can actually make a difference in the world. So that was one of the most important pieces of advice I ever got. And excellent advice to hear. (laughs) So what's the top piece of advice you'd like to leave listeners with today? Not that that wasn't excellent, but uh, I want a second one, Zoe. Okay. I think if we are going to do unusual business, so get away from business as usual to do unusual business, business that has a long lasting impact, boundless kind of leadership and, and impact, then what we need to do is entertain dangerous questions in thought experiments. So asking questions like, what if I threw it all in today? What if I had 100 times the resources that I have right now? What could I do with that? And if we entertained those kinds of dangerous questions that challenge our sense of self, challenge what's possible, then all sorts of things can emerge from that. So my piece of advice for folks is to entertain dangerous thoughts and see where it leads us. An excellent concept. My mind is already getting excited. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. (laughs) Uh, That's absolutely fantastic. And uh, uh, it's been absolutely wonderful, Zoe, having you on. But uh, most importantly today, how can our listeners connect with you to start their own business conversation? Okay. A couple of easy ways is find me on LinkedIn, Zoe Routh at, um, on LinkedIn, Z-O-E-R-O-U-T-H. Routh is like mouth with an R. Or go to my website, zoerouth.com, and sign up for my Boundless Leadership Toolkit. You get a free download of uh, Loyalty, my third book, along with its implementation toolkit. Um, and I publish a podcast and a newsletter every week on leadership. So that's a great way to start a conversation. Um, or sing out, send me an email, zoe at intercompass.com.au. There we are. Thank you, Zoe Routh. This has been an absolutely wonderful conversation. Uh, I've heard all manner of wonderful things to put into practice and to support all the things that I've tried to do. So hopefully our listeners have heard the same, and I'm sure you're probably getting calls already. (laughs) Well, Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been a pleasure, Clive. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Conversations with Clive Enever. Make sure you subscribe to future episodes via your favourite podcast app and you can find more business resources at cliveenever.com.au.